So this morning's passage comes from Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us, from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, thanks, uh, thanks, Alex. Um, well, hey, everybody, again, uh, welcome. Very glad you're here this morning. My name is Dave. I'm the, uh, the lead pastor here at Redemption Tucson, and I uh, typically do a bulk of the preaching here, uh, the majority of it, although this morning it's been um, kind of fun. We've gotten to hear almost like three little kind of sermons, if you will, three, uh, three really cool, encouraging things. I love that Elliot just kind of went off there, and now uh, you can tell he loves uh, you and us and, and our church and our ministry and what God is doing, and then uh, certainly that, the, uh, the All of Life interview, Alex and Nate, just, that's great, and we want to do that more and more. Our, our hope is to do one of those about once a m- month, and so we'll uh, very likely talk to some of you to uh, come up here and to show the full, the full breadth and scope of God's work and his, his uh, creative design in, in all of our lives. It's meant to honor and, and to uh, honor him and to serve uh, one another. So as we get into it this morning, um, I just, if you're new or you've never heard me preach, I want to make sure that you know I have a stutter, so it'll kind of come in and out as we go, and I uh, just want to give you guys a, a heads up so you're not like throwing things at the sound guys thinking it's a microphone. And, um, so it's, uh, it's all good on that. And um, you know, this morning, I, I um, I'm not one to be like, hey, I was going to preach on this, but now I'm going to preach on this. Normally, maybe often that means someone like didn't prepare anything. So they're just going with, you know, what they dreamt about last night. But we're not going there. But I did think, um, I I do kind of want to set the tone for us. As we were singing and I was praying through, um, I was overwhelmed as we sang, I am set free. And and I was thinking of the reality therein. You know, sometimes we sing these songs, these songs, and we, and we think about, you know, what we're going to eat for lunch and, and what we just ate for breakfast or that we didn't eat breakfast. Man, I wish I would have woken up earlier. I wish I would have shown up to church on time. Amen. Get some. Um, but, you know, we, we think about these other things. And, um, but to settle in and, and to really consider and to contemplate, and especially a song like that that's more kind of methodical and you can kind of get into and, and think about the reality of being set free. And I have the, the blessing and the honor, though it's sometimes really, really difficult, to walk alongside um, all of us. And I think we're all called to do that, to live in community together and to see, though, the reality of how often we don't live as though we're set free. And I was, I was reminded of um, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. Um, and to be, to be set free from the sin that so easily or so frequently entangles us. Okay, and, you, and you picture shackles that we put on our feet and our hands that God, the good news of Jesus, has released us from, has set us free, and yet we don't live that way. So what we're getting into this morning in Titus, as we've been walking through this series in Titus, is, is the freeing, empowering reality of the grace of God in and through the person and work of Jesus. 
And so what we're going to be walking through is this, this, uh, this, this, this kind of four-part um, look at grace, which grace means God's undeserved favor. And we're looking at, in, in these five verses, four verses, saving grace, training grace, hopeful grace, and declaring grace. And so what this means, the big idea, okay, that I want us to land on, that I want us to see, that we're going to walk through this morning, is this, is that we are called to be together the people of God. Healthy, right? You see it there, the healthy church of the one true God. And the church means the people of God, that we're called together to be the healthy people living, thriving, communally and individually together, set free from grace to glory in everything that we do. And so I want to ask you, how much does the grace and glory of Jesus actually inform every aspect of your life? How much do you rather put on shackles that have already been unlocked and the key has been thrown away and you live as though you haven't been set free? Well, as we've walked through Titus, the message has been one of do this, live this way, right? Works, as you may have heard it. But it's never separated from grace. Grace is the engine that drives how we're called to live. Okay, to be the healthy church of the one true God isn't like, you know, muster it up, dig down, you know, get ready, here comes, and just do it. And it might feel like that. Like we, we had an intense sermon last week where we we're looking at the implications or the implications imperatives right the charges or the commands live this way as a christian older men younger men older women younger women bond servants wherever you are in life this is what it looks like for you to live and then you can hear those things and be like oh man well how and then we get into that by the grace of jesus and the glory of jesus the past present and future grace and glory of jesus is meant to define everything about you all right so as we pray, I forgot to ask you to get into your Bibles. Um, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and hold your hand up right now and keep it up high, and somebody will get you a Bible. Si quieres la Biblia en español, solamente levanta su mano y diga español. We want to make sure everyone has a Bible they can read and understand and have in their own language. And if again, if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Okay, We want to make sure you keep this, You know, put your name in it, underline stuff, um, ask questions, and, and now as they're handing those out, continuing to, let's pray together and ask God the Holy Spirit to help us to actually settle in and to learn and to grow and to hear from God through his perfect word. Lord, we need you. Um, we need you always, <laughs> and yet we, we sometimes forget that. Lord, as I've talked to others even this week and last week, that we forget that we're in kind of a wartime reality Lord, we forget that our backs are against the wall apart from you. Lord, we forget that our, our nature is to uh, walk away from you, is to be our own king, our own Lord, is to not be a collective people, but to be individuals at war with one another. And yet the good news of Jesus, the grace and the glory of Jesus, God the Son, is meant to change everything. So Lord, I pray that we would hear from you today, this morning, and that we would indeed be transformed. Lord, that we would live out the freedom that you have accomplished for us, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. All right, let's just get right after it. In Titus chapter 2, I'm really glad, by the way, that we're where we are this week. 
it was fun and an honor to preach where we were last week, but I just feel a little bit of a, I can just kind of sigh a, a sigh of relief this morning. Together we're in four verses and um, it won't be an hour long, I guarantee you. Let's get after it. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Four, all right, this is just, this is helpful for us as you read the Bible, which I encourage you to do on a daily basis. Just read the Bible. If you don't know where to start, just start at the beginning and work your way to the end, okay? Cover to cover. Um, some people might say, oh, you have to start here and you have to do it this way. And you have, no, just read the Bible through. You know, if you, maybe someone's told you to read John or Mark and that's great, that's a good place to start or read Proverbs. That's the first time I ever consistently read the Bible was in Proverbs. There are th 31 chapters and normally 31 days in the month. But the story of God from beginning to end is told from beginning to end. So it's a good way to read it. But as you read, you need to look out for words like this, for, okay, that's a connecting word, for, therefore, thus, in light of, this kind of thing makes you stop, and you should stop and be like, for the grace of God has appeared, and just continue, and you could forget, oh, that's right, there were, there were 10 verses before that had charges, and that said, live this way, that are necessarily dependent on, again, the engine of what is to follow. Verses 11 through 15. The grace and glory of God is meant to drive how you live in every way. Okay, so if you felt the weight of last week's sermon, you, you, you should now lean in all the more and feel, well, how do I do that? Oh, by the grace and glory of God. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. The grace of God has appeared. Let me ask you, what is grace? What is grace to you? What do you think of with grace? And we're going to talk about this a lot this morning. If it's an ambiguous idea, all right, maybe, maybe you're, you're smart enough and old enough to have heard of the band U2, and you know they, um, one of their last good songs, okay, last couple albums, we just won't even remember those, but um, you too wrote a song called Grace, and it refers to grace and asks this question, what is grace? Is it the name of a girl? Is it, you know, is it an idea that's changed the world and all these things? And yes, those things can be true. Some of you probably have kids named Grace, and yes, it is an idea. But if it's just an idea, then it's kind of subjective, and it, and it maybe doesn't have the transformative effect it's supposed to have on your life. But hear me, look at me. Grace is a fact, Grace is a fact, and, and this is kind of a spoiler because next week we're going to really get into this, but grace is not just an idea. Grace is a person, and it has appeared. He has appeared. Grace has come. So when your life feels subjective and unwavering and kind of, or wavering and un, unstable, and you're tempted to wonder, you know, what is grace? Yeah, I'd say that's a, that's, a, that's a nice idea sometimes. Well, no, grace has appeared. Fact. Bringing salvation for all people. Salvation is, is all of life holistic freedom. And, it, and these ideas and these words build on one another, guys. So as, as we get into it, Understand that salvation is freedom. Again, let me ask you a question. All right, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions this morning. Don't answer out loud necessarily. But salvation, what is it? You know, sometimes you hear it, well, let's go get some people saved. Or I got saved, you know, at X time in my life. And what does salvation mean to you? 
Again, is your life changed by the grace and glory of God? The grace that has factually appeared in the person and work of Jesus, bringing salvation. Salvation is not just, man, thankfully I don't have to go to hell when I die. But, but honestly, candidly, is that how a lot of times, is that how you live your life? When you think of your salvation in Jesus, or if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, and I'm really, really glad that you're here, and, and you're wondering, man, this salvation I keep talking about, or I keep hearing about, it's this idea that, okay, I'm where I'm at right now, and so I'm going to give my life to Jesus and change everything so that I won't go to hell when I die. And hear me, that's really important, and that is real. There's a real place, and there is a r real judgment coming, all right? And, and that's very serious, and I don't say this to take away from that. But as Alex and Nate talked about this morning, it's a phrase we use a lot, guys. It's not less than that, but it's more. Okay, salvation is not just, though it is, Put your trust in Jesus so you don't go to hell when you die and so you live with him for eternity. Sadly, we don't even get to that part sometimes. But it's more, it's real, it's present. Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay, the salvation that the person of grace, Jesus, brings is meant to inform and change your life now. So that what has happened and what is happening and what will happen is lived out in every day. And then a the last thing, though, that I want to hit on, because some of you guys might know, well, I thought redemption was a reformed church. How do they deal with, uh, you know, verses like this, salvation for all people? In fact, in our membership class last night, that was brought up. And if you don't know what reform means, you don't have to, and that's okay. And that, you know, but, but for those of us who are wondering, what does this mean? And, and some people, not even just on a, on a, again, theological platitudes we're not interested in, but real gritty application into life that that makes us wonder so we read a verse like this and salvation for all people and we might wonder okay well what does that mean now my neighbor or my father doesn't know jesus so does this mean they don't necessarily need to because he came and he brought salvation for all people and again that was asked just yesterday afternoon by somebody lovingly concerned for others wondering that question and no it doesn't mean that just by Jesus coming, there's no necessary response that we need to give. What this specifically means in the Greek and the language that's fleshed out here is all people, that all types of people, that all every tribe and tongue and nation will be called, that every person will indeed be called to put their faith in Jesus and to respond and trust and to give their life to him. And so what this means specifically in this context, and I think honestly for us in Tucson right now in 2016 as well, is just right now even look around the room and ask yourself, who's not here? Who, who's not here? Who's not hearing this good news? What other countries around the world are full of people who are not hearing this? Because we're prone to think, you know, salvation is just about me and God. And we forget that God's plan from the very beginning, okay, let me pause for a minute. The very beginning, God's plan is for all of creation, 
When God said, when God created everything, let there, be, let there be light, let there be darkness, let there be sun and moon, let there be water and ocean, and he created everything, and then he created man and woman, and he, and he said, let us make man in our image, right? So your purpose um, before sin is as an image bearer of God, and then God gave a purpose and said, go and multiply so that your work and your identity is defined by God and by his plan. And his plan was never just for you and me. Was never just for a subgroup of people and he doesn't care about the rest. It all belongs to him. Salvation belongs to our God. Creation belongs to our God. And because Adam and Eve and you and I and all of us individually and collectively have turned our backs on God and we gave him the proverbial finger and said, no thanks, I want to do it on my own. I don't want my identity and my purpose to be, to be based on who you are and on what you say. The whole world has been affected and infected. We just heard about that as Nate shared this morning. And so when God says, um, I'm not going to leave it there, and then in Genesis chapter 12 you see, actually the chapter before in Genesis chapter 11, crisis was about to hit and mankind was about to forever separate from God and just be a little isolated group. Whew. Come on, like so many churches are prone to be. Like so many of us are prone to be. We're good right here. We're good in our little autonomous kind of group that all looks the same and we don't need to ask the hard questions and then God stepped in and blew that up and we pray he will do that here if we ever ever just get inward or navel gazers right if we ever just look inward and just forgetting that it's all all in his plan and in Genesis chapter 12 God said I will establish a name who will bless the nations that God's plan for his people has always been, and look at me, hear me, right now is, his plan for you and me is that we would exist as a blessing to the nations. Is that, is that how you understand your life? Is that how you understand why we're here and how we live today? And so this language right here, getting back to, as he says, salvation for all people, that's what it means, all people. That God's grace, his undeserved favor, this good news, this, this being set free is meant to be for all tribes and tongues and nations and ethnicities and socioeconomic groups. And that's good, and that's what we're called to. Amen? You give me a little amen here? Keep us going? Okay? And then, continuing on in verse 12, there's saving grace and then there is training grace. Verse 12 training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You see, guys, again, if grace is just an abstract idea, it's disconnected from your life today, right? And is that not how we tend to think of it? But if grace is a person and grace has come and grace has called you to follow him, he has come to save, and he's come to train. There's real life, life on life, gritty, get your hands dirty, training to be done. That God loves you too much to just leave you disconnected from his work, the work of grace, that it's ongoing, that he's called to train you. And so what this means is that there is no part of your life that he wants to leave untouched. It means that the power to continue to grow into your identity, 
Okay, some of you guys may have heard the big theological word of sanctification, right? There's justification, getting saved, right? Being forgiven, being 100% right with God, having your sins fully forgiven, Jesus dying on the cross and taking your sins in your place, paying the price. And then, not just there, right? He's not done there, but there's called an exchange or an, an imputation that Jesus then gives you his righteousness, his right standing, his adoption as sons and daughters of God Most High. And that's not just a one-time deal, all right? That is a one-time deal, but it's not just that. You're, you're, you're regenerate. You're born again. Your heart goes from stone to flesh. And then sanctification is the ongoing growth of you living into the identity that God has given you through the finished work of Jesus, Okay? The ongoing grace that grace, Jesus, gives to you. All right? Am I, getting, I did study philosophy, so sometimes I go on these places and act like I'm in the 60s and watching some crazy movie. All right? but so, so, so I hope you're following me. Are you following me? Okay? That's why I need amens here. Okay? And so, and so the, the ongoing work of grace in your life is living out the reality of what Jesus has already accomplished. And God loves you too much to let any stone remain unturned. So does your life reflect his commitment to continually train you? And these, these words that continue on there, self-controlled, right? To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If you guys were here last week, what was the one charge to young men? Young men, be self-controlled, right? Older men got a list. Older women got a list. Younger women got a list. Young men got self-controlled. Okay, one thing. Okay, you need it simple. And it's there, but really, what would it look like? And I love you. I was once a young man. Some of you might say I am now, but um, in this context, I'm not. And, um, but what would it look like to live in light of the grace of God that brings freedom from slavery to anything else, to be self-controlled. All right, the word um, down there later speaks of um, redemption. And we're going to get to that in verse 14, but it's a similar idea of freedom from slavery, redemption, emancipation. Let me just ask you, are you controlled by anything? If you're not a Christian, candidly, uh, um, uh, yes, you are. We are all controlled by something. In fact, we're told in the scriptures we're all slaves to something. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to the righteousness of Jesus. So now let me ask you, Christian, or if you're not yet a Christian and you're considering giving your life to Jesus, I'm asking you the same thing. Okay, we don't want to hide our cards in any way. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not just pray a prayer so you don't go to hell one day. It is that but more. It's also everything. Jesus says, I want everything. Give me your life. So Christian, are you controlled by anything else? Or are you able to be self-controlled by the grace shown to you through Jesus? Are you enslaved to anything? We talked about last week what some of those things might be, and I don't need to give you a list, all right? You, I think we know this. Sins that have been committed to us and against us, 
and sins that we have committed ourselves, and it's often not so cleanly separated, but the, just the, the bundled spaghetti mess of sin that can control us, that Jesus has come to set free and is so committed to you. Hear me, look at me. He loves you so much that he's not going to stop. He's going to continue to set you free from the sin that so easily entangles you. So I ask you, what is entangling you? And will you be set free? Will you live the life that God has called you to live, empowered and informed by the grace of Jesus that has come already, factually, when he arrived on the scene and when he laid down his life on the cross and when he victoriously rose from the dead, grace has come to set you free so that you might be self-controlled. And then it continues on and there's that word right before it, renouncing renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions. You know what that means, that idea specifically means? It means like denouncing citizenship. Okay, and you see it said, let me explain this idea here a bit to us, because it says um, renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So what this means is you are either a citizen of the kingdom of God that is present, okay? When Jesus came, he said, my kingdom is now here. It is among you. And yet, his kingdom is living among the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world is not, you know, culture out there. It's not, you know, this physical earth world. And, and I'm a part of a different world. And it's, no, the kingdom of God that is everything as it is supposed to be. When God created everything before sin entered in, he said, this is my kingdom. Now go and flourish and cultivate and build and work in my kingdom. And then when sin entered into the world, the kingdom of this world, the kingdom of darkness, of sin, of not God, came in and overlapped, okay, and affected and infected everything. And then when Jesus came, he brought the kingdom, restored and restoring as it ought to be, but it's still overlapping, okay? Can you picture two intersecting circles with me? So that's where we are now, the kingdom of God that is present in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of this world. And so, Christian, what it means is you're not called to, to withdraw and hide out from the world, but it means that you're called to be a kingdom citizen, to renounce your citizenship to the world structures that are apart from God, to be a light, a light to the nations, a light to the world of what the kingdom is to look like. So that through our relationships with one another, we live and thrive. And so he says, because grace has come, renounce your citizenship to the systems and structures of sin. The shackles of not God that have been unlocked and thrown away. Live this way. Renounce this. So again, I ask you, is anything left unchanged? Because we're called to live from grace to glory. And as we transition into understanding what looking at the glory of Jesus looks like, let me, um, let me share a, a story with you. Um, and I've heard some kind of similar story of this in, in many times, but a friend of mine, so it's no one in here, but a friend of mine told me a story about somebody he was, he was talking with who was a young Christian, 
and she was um, in an unhealthy relationship where she was sleeping with her boyfriend. They were young, they were in college, they were living in sin. They had put their faith in Jesus. He had grown up in the church, this other guy had grown up in the church and, and then, and then um, he had walked away from the Lord and he was in this unhealthy relationship and then his girlfriend came to know Jesus and put her faith in him and she's just continuing on and they're having sex. And all of a sudden she comes to my friend who's a pastor and says, hey, um, I need you to talk to my boyfriend because we've been having sex and um, he wants to stop because he grew up in a really, really legalistic church and um, he believes that you can lose your salvation, which by the way, we don't believe, okay? But, but this gets messy. Let me just explain it for a minute. He, we don't believe that you can like put your trust in Jesus and now you're saved and then all of a sudden you walk away and now you're not saved anymore and then you stop doing the bad stuff and you come back and now you're saved, Right Again, we've talked about the, the whole work of salvation, that if, you've, if you were dead and now you're alive again, you don't die again and raise again, okay? You're now born again. You're now regenerate, okay? But, but, but some churches and beliefs do teach that you can lose your salvation. And so this guy believed that, and, and, and this is where it gets messy, is he rightly came back and said, hey, we got to stop having sex, now, his motive wasn't right in that, okay? His, his idea was, I've got to do all the right things and then I'll be good with God again, rather than understanding grace, okay? He didn't understand grace, but my friend rightly said, um, wait, so let me get this right. Your, your boyfriend doesn't understand grace and, and you want to keep having sex with him, so I need to talk to him about grace so he'll just keep having sex with you because he understands it's not about what you do. And he goes, no, we need to talk about grace. Okay, you don't get grace because our tendency is to cheapen grace and to think that grace just gives me a license. Now hear me, hear me. If you put your trust in Jesus, are your sins forgiven past, present, and future? Yes, absolutely. Okay, was that girl having sex, did that mean God's like, I'm going to zap you, I'm not, and you're no longer forgiven? No. But what it did mean is that she did not understand the full implications of grace. That grace always transforms and leads to action, right? The beginning of Titus, you don't have to turn there with me, but it begins, remember, that, that knowledge of the truth, the truth of God, which accords with godliness, right? What that means is grace that is lived out in works, in how you live. So some people don't get it because of the law and because of legalism, and they don't get grace. But many of us don't get it because we've cheapened grace. And we even hear things, oh, grace is free. Well, it's free to you and I, but it came at a great cost, the infinite cost that Jesus paid on the cross when he laid down his life for you. So from grace to glory... What does that look like? Continuing on in verse uh, 13 now. Grace has appeared. Remember, Jesus has come. But do we just look back? No, we also look forward. Verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. 
waiting for our blessed hope. That word waiting doesn't mean you sit here and you bite your nails and you cower in a corner, right, withdrawn, or that you wait and you wonder, is this day ever going to come? No, picture with me an anxious, not anxious, like an excited, eager anticipation for what you know is coming. Okay, think of a kid on Christmas Eve, all right? I see one kid in here. And think of the way a kid is on Christmas Eve. Right, whatever you do, whatever kind of hardship comes, some of us here grew up in broken homes and there was ugliness and difficulty, but no matter what was going on, you know it's Christmas Eve. Christmas is coming tomorrow. Whatever's going on on Christmas Eve, whatever, whatever I'm getting put in time out, I'm getting, all right, whatever's going on, you know, like that day is different. You're living differently on Christmas Eve because you know what's around the corner. Sometimes we need, to, we need to take on a childlikeness in how we live. Because the, the coming, the appearance of glory that is to come, our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, has been promised to you. This waiting means excited anticipation for the return of Jesus that is meant to inform and define how you live right now. Man, I know that life can be so difficult that we can go from day to day, moment to moment, that marriages can be seemingly unsavable, that, that bills can be mounting, that addiction can be calling and luring, that hopelessness can be closing in from every angle. And yet, the grace of God in the person and work of Jesus that has appeared and the glory of God, Jesus, who has promised that he will appear and make all things new is meant to inform and define how you and I live right now together as his people. He's forming a people. You're not alone, Christian. You're called to live in community. If you believe or you set up walls so that you are alone, repent, confess, run toward one another. If you live and set your life up in such a way that other people feel like they can't come to you and ask for help, repent, confess, break down those walls. As we've talked about a lot here, right? Cross-generational, cross-ethnic, cross-socioeconomic community of God. You see it right here. What is Jesus up to? The coming of grace and the, and the awaited appearing of glory, what is he doing? He's redeeming a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Man, is that how our lives are defined together? Do, do we live in such a way that as verse 15 says, that we declare these things with our words and our actions that we exhort one another and rebuke with all authority? That, that we remind the world out there and the community in here, the world that we, the overlapping kingdom of heaven that is infiltrating the kingdom of this world, that is hopeless, that is shackled, that has no concept of the freeing gift of Jesus that he has come to give? Are you and I living still shackled? 
As we sing those songs, I am set free, I couldn't help. I know some of us are, we're, we're a blended community here, right? We're a blended family, if you will. And we're called, like some of us are like, I don't know this whole charismatic deal. I don't know what holding hands means. You know what it means? It means, or raising hands, you can hold hands too, right? That's cool. Um, <laughs> raising hands, you know what that means? Let me just explain. You don't have to do that externally, but at least I pray in your heart, your little hands are raising it means this, I have been set free. The shackles have been released. I have put them back on, and yet Jesus has unlocked them, and I am now set free so that the sin that so easily entangles me and defines me and keeps me enslaved, I've been redeemed. Personally and communally, together, living as the healthy people of God, from grace to glory, defined in every facet of our lives by the past, present, and future grace and glory of Jesus. What does that look like? What does that look like for you individually? Is it a theological platitude, an abstract idea, or is it a reality that shapes you, that shapes us, does that give you hope, church? D does that excite you? Does that cause you to want to respond to Jesus and pray that his grace and glory would transform you and set you free now? Let's pray and consider how we're going to respond to this. Jesus, you are good. Your grace con carne with meat, with flesh. You're God among us, Emmanuel. You're the good news that changes everything right now. You have come. It's a fact. You've come, you've lived, you've died, you've risen, and you've promised to come again. Lord, we repent and confess that we've put blinders on, we've put our head down, and we've forgotten that what you've done and what you've promised to do is meant to change us now. So God, I pray that we will respond appropriately as a church. Excitedly, Lord, I pray that our, 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 our singing and our, our praying would be with hopeful anticipation of the good news of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.